This is Jason Holleran. I proudly served for 33 years, culminating as the Deputy Commandant at West Point. Put this on your calendar. World War II weekend inside Old Bethpage Village Restoration on Long Island. Scores of operational vintage armor in formation May 18th and 19th. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman invites you to join him in saluting America's greatest generation and all those who have worn the uniform in defense of our freedoms. That's May 18th and 19th, presented by the Museum of American Armor. This is Issues and Interviews. And now, here's Kieran Michael Lawler on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to Issues and Interviews on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Issues and interviews with Kieran Michael Lawler. Great to be back with you today. Big show, jam-packed show, fun show, interesting show. We're going to talk a little bit about the importance of our word choice. Great article in the Washington Times, I believe it was, telling conservatives, don't call our ideological opponents liberal. That is not an apt description. Call them leftists. That is a more accurate description. We're going to talk about that. And that kind of stuff is important. The left loves to control language. They poll test everything. They focus group everything. Gay marriage was unpopular, but marriage equality was. Played a very important role in that issue. They now refer to some things related to transgender children as gender-affirming care. It's really puberty blockers and and surgery, but they call it gender-affirming care. So the word choice we use is important. We're going to go through that great points made in that that article. And we're also going to have a very interesting guest, Colin Schmidt, former Assembly colleague of mine, ran for Congress here in the Hudson Valley, came very close to beating Congressman Pat Ryan. But he's back in the news because he just learned that the Democrats likely unlawfully and certainly fraudulently were poking around to get at his military records in a very dishonest, possibly illegal way. And we're going to talk about that. And Colin Schmidt is not the only victim of that. He's not the only Republican candidate for Congress with a military background who fell victim to that. And you know what? This week is St. Patrick's Week and St. Patrick's Weekend. And we're going to talk about the journey from Ireland to the United States of the people in my family. And then we're going to talk about heroic Irish New Yorkers through the centuries and the the role we've played and celebrate Ireland. But in a way, we're really celebrating the opportunity for the Irish to come here and do great things for our country and become American. So we're going to get to all that. Stick with me. Make sure that you're listening to every episode. If you've missed an episode, go back and listen again. They're timeless classics, in my humble opinion. And Make sure you're sharing it on social media, telling your friends about it. Good story about the show. I saw my sister this weekend. She lives in Jersey. Big listener to the show. And she was in Georgia. Her in-laws live in Georgia. And she said, my in-laws love the show. And they're telling all their friends in Georgia to listen to the show. So how about that? We're going down to Georgia. And the Joneses down in Georgia, that's their names. And their friends are enjoying some issues and interviews with Kieran Michael Lawler from The Big Apple. All right thanks to the modern technology that we are able to take advantage of today and get our message out there. So let's go to this article. Let's go to this. I keep saying Washington Examiner. It was a Washington Examiner or Washington Times. Anyway, the author was Eleanor Bartow. And she says, Democrats have moved so far to the left in recent years that they should no longer be called liberals unless the true liberals among them start to stand up to the leftists who have taken over. The term is misleading giving the impression that Democrats support individual freedom and accept people of different viewpoints, when increasingly they do not. The word liberal gives yet more power to those 
who seek to take more of our liberties. And that's true. If you look up the definition of liberal, the word liberal, Thomas Jefferson was a liberal. Ben Franklin was a liberal, classical liberal. It means open-minded, right? And those those founding fathers, they were open-minded to the possibility of starting a new country and a new way of government and not having monarchy and having individual rights and having government of the people and all these great things. And even liberals who you may have disagreed with over the decades, true liberals were open-minded and tolerant. Does that word describe our liberal opponents today, our Democrat opponents today? It really doesn't. They are the least tolerant people in the world. They are intolerant of disagreement. They are intolerant of ideas that they don't agree with. And they don't just get upset and sit there intolerant of your ideas of your or your opposition to their ideas. They often seek to punish you. How about the baker in Colorado? He's spending all his time not baking beautiful cakes, but he's baking lawsuits because he's getting sued left and right by the state of Colorado. One of his cases got to the Supreme Court. He doesn't want to make a, a cake celebrating transgenderism. And in the previous court case that he won, Masterpiece Cake is the name of the company. He didn't want to make a cake for use his artistic creativity to make a cake for a same-sex marriage. He didn't want to. This is America. Well, the intolerant leftists are dragging him through the court system, making him spend money on lawyers, making him spend his time and worrying about this litigation instead of doing what he wants to do to punish him because he disagrees with them. You must toe the line. Our former liberal friends now leftist friends. And I use the word liberal a lot. You know, it was Russ Limbaugh I listened to from the time I was about 12 years old, 13 years old. He, he kind of made liberal a real pejorative and liberals ultimately shifted to the word progressive. They're like, progressive sounds great. Oh, I'm progressive. I'm progressive. That sounds great. Good insurance company commercials too. But leftist is the true term. They are leftist. They are not open-minded. They are not tolerant of our ideas. And I don't think the drift to the left is over for the Democrat Party. We have seen, I saw it my, with my own eyes in Albany, when AOC got elected at the same time, 2018, that Democrats took over every aspect of government in Albany. They had Cuomo in their mansion. They had always since the 70s had control of the assembly, and they finally took over the Senate. That same year, 2018, you saw not liberalism, you saw leftism, socialism, bordering on communism, and, and likely, in fact, communism. And here's what the author, Eleanor, of this article writes about the drift, the drift leftward. She says, as the time notes, the left is increasingly intolerant. Part of why liberal no longer works to describe Democrats is the party has moved leftward as many have noted, including the Wall Street Journal's Peggy Noonan, comedian and commentator Bill Maher, and Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders in her State of the Union response. Since at least 2020, Noonan wrote, Democrats have aligned with or allowed themselves to be associated with the identity politics, wokeness regime. It's amazing we still don't have an agreed upon word or phrase that fully captures this program. That regime consists of transgenderism, climate alarmism, and so-called anti-racism. The Democrats are the party of the left. Progressive pathologies morph into Democrat ideologies, tagging the party as radical. Why do the Democrats allow this to continue? Why don't they push back? It's hard as a party to do that. And that's interesting. And I, I want to recognize a couple of liberals. Bill Maher, I, I, Bill Maher always annoyed me. I never liked him. I never thought he was funny. He would have a show, and they basically would make fun of their conservative guest on the show. He has one of those faces you just kind of want to punch. He's kind of like a, like a just 
snotty guy, that kind of guy. But I'm going to give him credit. He's a profile in courage because he's standing up to the woke nonsense, to the leftist nonsense. And he's a liberal. He's kind of an open-minded, live and let live kind of a liberal. You can have a conversation with him. And he was talking about something that happened in Florida and Florida schools. And he said, why don't we just call it, why don't we just call this bill? Let's do things like the way we did five years ago. And he was making a comment on how quickly we have shifted to the left on everything from education to cultural issues, economic issues. And it's a good point. And he's standing up to his, you know, his base because he's a liberal. And I give him a lot of credit. Chris Rock, the other night in his Netflix special, you know, he tried to code it in some some liberalism, but the name of the show was Selective Outrage, and he was really funny, and most of the coverage of it was was about him responding to getting slapped in the face by Will Smith last year, but he really was basically saying the left is intolerant. The left isn't open to others' idea, other ideas that they oppose, and they want to cancel any opinion that is contrary to theirs. And he's 100% right. And I give Chris Rock courage, credit as a profile in courage because tough to do. Netflix, liberal. The Obamas are on the board of Netflix. But I think people who are thinkers, and Chris Rock is a comedian, but I think he's a thinker. I mean, a comedian has to be a thinker to a level, to a certain extent, because you, you kind of think, think things through and see things in a funny way that other people might not see. And creative people like that are saying, holy cow, eventually they're going to come for me eventually they're going to try to cancel me. Eventually, I'm going to be a pariah if I if I don't toe the ever-moving leftist line that is put out there. And they realize that it's bad for their industry, it's bad for the country, and it's bad policy. So I like to see that those classical liberals, I don't know if you would, you would call Chris Rock a classical liberal, but at least he's living up to the definition of having an open mind and, and being a free thinker. Same with Bill Maher. So I give those guys credit. And I'm going to do my best. It's going to be hard not to use the word liberal. I'd probably use it if you went back and audited the show and listened to how many times I use the word liberal. It's a lot. Maybe maybe the most frequent word that I use, at least the most frequent adjective that I use. But I'm going to start saying leftist. And that kind of stuff is important. Someone once told me I was using the phrase crony capitalism. And somebody said, you know, there's really no such thing as crony capitalism because it's not capitalism if there's the crony attached to it. So it's a pretty pretty good idea. And I've tried to say words like, or phrases like corporate welfare. And words matter. Word choices matter. Now, the, the left wants to crucify you with your word choices if they don't like your word choices, but we need to make sure our terms are accurate, they are truthful, and they are describing what is, in reality, really happening. So, leftist it is. From now on, on issues and interviews with Kieran Michael Lawler, I'm seeing the issues and interviews hotline lighting up. We're going to go to our guest right after this. We are joined on the Issues and Interviews Hotline by Colin Schmidt, my former New York State Assembly colleague, was an excellent candidate for the United States Congress here in the Hudson Valley in 2022, came up a little short, but he's back in the news today in a way that is exposing just how dastardly the Democrats are and how dirty they play. Colin Schmidt, welcome to the show. Tell me what's going on here. I read this political article and I couldn't believe it. It was a, a local story about you for the most part. Well, Assemblyman Lawler, thank you for having me on, and thank you for bringing attention to this story. It's outrageous. You know, a veteran, I'm still in a sergeant in the Army National Guard, and there's a lot of you know, folks, who, men and women, who raise their right hand and are veterans or continue to serve and seek office, and that should be applauded, and we should seek more people 
you know, what, whatever their backgrounds are, who have service, Air Force, Army, Navy, Marines, anybody who should encourage it. It turns out that the DCCC paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to a firm to try to illegally obtain the military records of Republican candidates and, and members of Congress. And they did this. It was exposed a couple months ago in the Air Force, and the Air Force released these records. In the course of, of that developing, there was some outreach to me and some notifications made to me that this may have occurred to, to my private military records as well. So we worked with, with counsel and with the Army National Guard here in New York, and we were able to obtain that there was an illegal attempt using my Social Security number to access all of my military records, including personal, private, and confidential records, which no one has the, the ability to access. They don't have the right to access, but they actually filed a form using my Social Security number, signing it as if they had pr permission to do a background check, as if I was trying to become a, you know, say a police officer or get a security clearance or do something that required clients in a background investigation. And they falsely represented themselves. Thankfully, the National Guard in New York, and I'm, I've appreciated to them, notified me of this and worked to prevent that. But there are multiple other avenues that this attempt also been made, and we are continuing to work through to, uh, to discover what other avenues they attempted to use my Social Security number to obtain my records to weaponize against me. You mentioned DCCC before, Democrat Congressional Campaign Committee. At the time, that was headed by a local congressman from New York, from the Hudson Valley, Sean Patrick Maloney, who lost to Mike Lawler in the neighboring district. So dirty tricks yes. coming out of Sean Patrick Maloney and the DCCC. Now, how did they get your Social Security number, Congressman? That, that, that is a great question. We do not have answers to that. They, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be a clear way that they could, could access that. We're talking to other members of Congress as well as other candidates who have been impacted or believe they've been impacted. And several of them have the same issue where somehow the DCCC got our Social Security numbers and then fraudulently used them. So I believe there are numerous criminal and civil penalties that can be assessed here, whether it be the individual who did this, the organizations that paid for it, or the consultants or campaigns who benefited from it. So I volunteered to participate. The House Armed Services Committee and the House Investigations Committee is now doing a joint investigation. I volunteered to testify or to, to participate any way I can. And I'm also encouraging DOJ, Army, whoever, is the appropriate or if not if not many entities should be investigating this because these are personal records using personal social security number uh, you should not be allowed to to attempt to and or successfully steal someone's private records private military records and i believe there are many more people impacted by this than know about it. so i've been reaching out to candidates i know who some have been successful some of them were not and saying, you know, th these are the things you need to do to find out. And it takes a process. My own, my own team trying to investigate this, we're still waiting for various entities that we've asked to prove they, it, did they protect our records or not. So it takes a process. But I'm telling candidates, any veteran or any person who is still serving that ran should do this to protect themselves and, and know if they were, if their records were violated and it will help to hold those who did this accountable 
And uh, I'm just encouraged that they are doing this joint committee investigation in the House. But this shouldn't be a partisan issue, even though it was the Democrat campaign committee only targeted Republicans. We should have cooperation from DOD and DOJ because this is it's wrong and it's criminal and people must be held accountable. You can't just operate outside of the law for political gain. Yeah, so true. So true. I do think you have a civil cause of action. Definitely call my law firm when we get off the phone here, Colin Schmidt. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. Of, <laughs> no, I do think there is definitely civil liability here. I like the concept of the beneficiary might also be a proper defendant in this. And your opponent in this case, which I think this makes it even worse, your opponent in this case, Pat Ryan, he's a sitting congressman now, West Point guy, Army officer. This was done on his behalf in your case. Has he made any comment about it? I haven't seen any comment from the opposing campaign, but I don't believe this story is going away. I'm not letting it go away, not even just because of myself, but discourages the men and women who serve and served our country from volunteering to offer themselves up for candidates for any level of office. And that to me is is unacceptable. So we're going to keep on it. And there were things that happened during the campaign that, you know, when we when we got notified of this, starts to make sense about leaked records and the weaponization of records. So that's we're we're going very methodically. We're taking this very seriously, doing this properly because, you know, we experienced certain things that are during that campaign that indicates access to records that they shouldn't have been access to. So. We know this stuff happened. We've talked to others that it happened to. Unfortunately, there was an Air Force veteran from, from Indiana, female. I got to meet her during the campaign. She ran her also race. It was horrible what the Democrat operatives did to her. She was a victim of violent sexual assault in the Air Force, and they leaked out that entire record. So, I mean, some of this stuff is beyond the pale, you know, beyond criminal. It's, it's immoral. It's unethical. It's sick. And the people who did that must, must be held accountable from candidates, consultants, all the way up to the chairman of the DCCC, if that's where it goes. You know, you mentioned the, the female candidate who had those records about a violent assault released, ironic, from the party who pretends to support women. What do you think they're looking for? Just just to embarrass candidates? Like in your case, what, what would they be looking for? I mean, you're a public figure that's, already. That's a good question. Exactly. It's. In the military, there are certain things you could request, like anyone could request. There's certain public information, and certainly any member of the public by law is entitled to that. But exactly, you have people who are highly vetted, who are still serving. And I I guess when you're desperate to try to win any seat, and I think that's the situation we've got now in our political process, if they could try to turn over any possible negative, I guess, anything, and they'll, they'll try, and I guess resorting to potentially criminally criminal behavior to achieve that goal to fraudulently represent yourself using someone else's social security number i guess we've gotten to the stakes in this country where something like that's acceptable to some people but i still think most americans regardless of party would be disgusted to hear that that is the tactic that some have to rely on to attempt to to win an election and that's there has to be accountability to that because we, we can't allow that to be the standard, in my opinion. 100%. I mean, almost 50 years ago, Watergate was basically what you're talking about in the 1970s presidential context. And the president resigned and we're still feeling the aftershocks 50 years later. This is basically a modern day congressional level 
Watergate all across the country and even more pernicious because it targets veterans. So a candidate has in his or her bio service to the country and they're trying to use that against the candidate. One million percent disgraceful. Absolutely. Terrible. I'm going to stay on it. I'm going to put some heat on uh, Pat Ryan over there, get him to comment on it. I mean, it was a very close race. You're saying there was other irregularities where they had information that they didn't have a right to. They tried these dirty tricks. I'm going to definitely try to get some answers there and definitely keep me in the loop on, on what you find out and how this whole thing progresses. But there question is now, are you, are you going to run again for this seat? Are you going to take on Ryan again? Well, we certainly appreciate it. A lot of people have reached out and, and encouraged that right now. My wife and I are, are taking a little bit easy, taking a few minutes off from politics and and evaluating our options, but we're, we're not ruling anything in or anything out at this point. Okay, okay. Well, you know, politics is like the mafia. You know, every time you think you're out, they pull you back in. Uh, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> and I'm Irish, you, and I even I know you that. Got a day, you, you think you got a day off, and next thing you know, there's something pops up. So it's it's always ready, always always ready to serve. But it's also been nice for the last uh, last a month or two, of just you know, having a normal Saturday and Sunday. And I'm sure you're enjoying that as well. It's, it's been a rare thing to, to say, "What are we going to do on Saturday morning?" Okay, we're gonna we're gonna eat breakfast together. That's it, it's been nice for to have that yeah. for a few weeks. That is for sure. Very nice. Very nice. And one last question as we wrap up, Colin Schmidt. You were in the mix for GOP chair. The GOP decided this week they're going to go back to, ironically, Richard Nixon's son-in-law, Ed Cox, a friend of mine, a friend of yours. I think I thought he was a good chairman. I thought he got a raw deal a couple of years ago. And I read this morning that one of the reasons they're bringing him back, the Republicans are bringing him back as a chairman. He is an excellent fundraiser. And the Democrats are throwing a lot of money at taking back these Hudson Valley and Long Island congressional seats. Your thoughts on the new GOP chair? I'm excited to see Ed back in there, certainly when we had some conversations and I offered my full support to him right away when he decided to get in. I think it's the right move. He does have the relationships to immediately ensure the Republican Party is properly funded. We we have $45 million pledge against Republicans in the state, as you mentioned. That's a significant investment. Just this morning, They also announced they're standing up a full-time war room office in the Hudson Valley to target the Hudson Valley Republicans, as well as the Long Island Republicans, that super PAC. So they're already going to be putting bodies on the ground and staffing an office. Ed has the ability to money immediately and also pay off any debts that the party may currently have. He also has the relationships because there's, I believe, still going to be efforts to redistrict all of their work on the assembly lines, as you know. I think they're going to try to redo things with the congressional lines, possibly. Ed has those relationships and the ability to fund those projects. And I, I think that's what we need. And then to build out an apparatus, you know, we had RNC support coming for my race, but we didn't have any state field program or anything. So that's one thing I've spoken with him already. His team Regardless of what I do in the future, just my experiences, giving some pointers, hey, this is what could help the next candidate running for assembly or Congress or whatever. This is this is what maybe yeah, it's not even the most most expensive thing, but a couple hundred thousand to build out infrastructure like this for statewide efforts would go a long way. And he's receptive to that and he can back it up with with actual resources. I think that's going to go a long way to protecting the incumbents next year and leaving a pathway to to target certain districts like 18, you know, any others that might go and play depending on how the national narrative sets up.
All right, good stuff. Thanks for that update there. I'm I'm in full support of Ed Cox. I think he's going to do a great job. And definitely keep me informed about what's going on with your situation there. Horrible stuff, dirty tricks from the leftists in the Democrat Party. But thanks so much for informing us and talking to us today, Colin Schmidt. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to being back, and we will keep you posted. We have requests in to numerous other avenues regarding these military records, and we'll come back as soon as we have an update. All right. Sounds good. Take care, buddy. Yeah, the pipes, the pipes are calling St. Patrick's Day week. I think you will probably tell by my name, Kieran Lawler, that I'm Irish and my ancestors came from Ireland. And matter of fact, the most important thing and the most positive thing that ever happened in my life, in my parents' lives, and in the lives of my five siblings, Danny, Patrick, Christine, Suzanne, and Megan, that most important and positive event happened years in many cases, decades before we were born. That most important event was my grandparents deciding to leave Ireland and come to America, which set us up. It set us up, set my parents up for prosperity, freedom, a great life. And the hard work of my grandparents, followed by the hard work of my parents, set me and my siblings up for a great life here in America. And St. Patrick's Day, of course, it is a celebration of a Catholic saint who brought Christianity to Ireland. And many of my Italian friends will remind me that he was Italian or Roman, that St. Patrick was Roman, but he made his bones in Ireland, bringing Christianity to Ireland. So he is the great patron saint of Ireland. And that's the reason the holiday originated. But in the United States, I think it is a celebration of St. Patrick himself and Christianity blossoming in Ireland. But it's also about connecting us with our ancestors, our ancestral homeland, and the contributions of the Irish in America. Those two things. Ireland and America are connected because I am American and I'm connected to Ireland. And that's the lens that I view the world. So let me tell you just a little bit about my grandparents because they're great stories, powerful stories. My grandmother, Nan Finnegan, was her name when she was my grandmother, but her maiden name was Dolan, Nan Dolan. They called her Wee Nan Dolan, very small person, very short in stature, but big in, in every other way, very smart. Did the crossword, New York Times crossword puzzle well into her 90s. Matter of fact, when my brother Pat was was married, I was in Iraq, and I missed the wedding. And a month or so later, I got I got a mail call, and I got some pictures from my brother's wedding. And my brother Pat was probably 6'2", 6'3", pretty tall guy, but not you know he's not a seven-footer or anything. He's dancing with my grandmother, who was very short. And my friends were looking at the pictures, and like, is your brother like seven feet two? Oh, my gosh, I've never seen anybody so tall. I said, no, my brother's pretty He's pretty tall, 6'2", 6'3", but it's my grandmother making him look a lot taller. But she came here 17 years old on a boat. I tell my children that who are teenagers. And I say, your grandmother came to Ireland on a boat by herself when she was 17. I think you can make your bed. And I know this story from my grandmother, but more from my mother, Patsy Finnegan. My grandmother had to take a bus from County Fermanagh to get to the ship, which ultimately took her from Belfast to New York. And the bus drove by the field where her father, my great-grandfather, was working. And the driver stopped the bus so my grandmother could get out and say goodbye to her father. 
And crying, he hugged her and he said, I'll never see you again. And there was not a dry eye on the bus at this parting of the ways. My grandfather, Pat Finnegan, who went on to marry my grandmother, Nan Finnegan, came from County Meath, 1928, as the ship left the port. My grandfather, looking out at the Irish coastline and another person on the boat, said, take a good long look. You'll never see it again. And on my father's side, my grandfather, Dan Lawler, was from County Leash, and he arrived in New York on October 22nd, 1929. I mentioned the specific date because it was one week to the day before the stock market crashed. He had nothing to do with it, by the way. But his sponsor, who was supposed to meet him when he arrived in New York Harbor, he wasn't there. A local priest put him up in the rectory of a nearby church, and the next day, my grandfather connected with, with his sponsor and began... Life in America, the first Lawler in America, my grandfather, Dan Finnegan. So on St. Patrick's Day and at St. Patrick's Day season, it's a whole season for me. It's like Christmas season, St. Patrick's Day season. On this day, we celebrate my grandparents and all the people that came from Ireland and made a better life and enriched us here in America. And would we even have America if not for the brave fighting men of this country and New York? And in particular, the New York Irish community has made great contributions to the defense of this country. And I want to highlight a couple of them going all the way back to 1776, the American Revolution. One of George Washington's right-hand men, Colonel John Fitzgerald, emigrated from County Wicklow, Ireland to Alexandria, Virginia. And he was at Washington's side at Brandywine, at Germantown. He weathered the horrible winter at Valley Forge by George Washington's side. And on that faithful Christmas night in 1776, when Washington letters met across the Delaware to rout the Hessians, turn the tide of the war, Colonel Fitzgerald, a son of Ireland, by his side, fighting alongside of him. And Washington wrote a letter to Thomas Jefferson, no less, in 1787. And here's what he said about Fitzgerald. A gentleman who is a native of Ireland, Colonel Fitzgerald. The active services of this gentleman during the war, his long residence in the country, and intermarriage in it, all entitle him to be considered as an American. George Washington said that about Colonel John Fitzgerald. And fast forward 80 years or so, made up almost entirely of sons of Aaron, of Aaron the Irish Brigade helped preserve the Union. Colonel, Colonel Fitzgerald and George Washington helped create the Union. It had to be preserved 80 years later during the Civil War, and the Irish Brigade fought with distinction at Bull Run, Gettysburg, Antietam, and it's believed that Robert E. Lee himself, the Confederate general, was so impressed with the military prowess of the 69th New York Infantry, which was a part of the Irish Brigade at the Battle of Fredericksburg. He gave them the enduring nickname, the Fighting 69th, and whenever you watch the St. Patrick's Day Parade on TV in New York City, in Manhattan, it is the Fighting 69th, a unit that still exists today, a unit that fought valiantly as recently as Operation Iraqi Freedom and took casualties in Iraq. Fighting 69th get their name from their Irish lineage in the Civil War and the fact that Robert E. Lee was impressed with their fighting spirit and their ability. And no Paris Island recruit leaves boot camp without knowing the name Deadly Dan Daly, a Marine Sergeant Major from Glen Clove, New York. He's one of only 17 people in American history to receive the Medal of Honor, not once but twice. He fought in the Boxer Rebellion, the Banana Republic War, and during World War I. 
And he was so impressive that in 2005, when the U.S. Post Office issued distinguished Marine stamps, Deadly Dan Daly was one of the four Marines. So honored. Even in more modern wars, even in unpopular wars, Irish New Yorkers answered the call and served heroically. Robert Emmett O'Malley, Queens, New York, first Marine to receive the Medal of Honor in the Vietnam War. His three brothers served in the Marine Corps, as did his boyhood friend Thomas Noonan. Noonan was killed in action while saving the lives of his fellow Marines for his, quote, indomitable courage, inspiring initiative, and selfless devotion to duty. Noonan received the Medal of Honor posthumously. Think about that. 2.7 million Americans served in the Vietnam War. Only 247 received the Medal of Honor. That two men who went to school and church together received the nation's highest military honor for similar acts of selflessness and bravery says something so profound about the Irish Catholic community in New York from which they came. And to wrap up, two Marines that I served with, Captain John McKenna, whose birthday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, 1776, we celebrate this week. And Lance Corporal Mike Glover, another New York Marine, gave their lives together fighting for the United States in Iraq back in 2006. One from Queens, one from Brooklyn, died together side by side. Lance Corporal Glover had a cross around his neck made from steel from the World Trade Center in New York. And even in the 21st century, Irish New Yorkers making heroic contributions to the security of our great country. And we're going to have to leave it right there. Powerful episode of Issues and Interviews with Kieran Michael Lawler today on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You have to come back next week. You have to share it with your friends. You have to tell it with your friends. We're going down to Georgia, as you heard earlier, but we want to go to all 50 states. We want everybody listening to every single episode of Issues and Interviews. So be back next week for another high-flying edition Issues and Interviews with Kieran Michael Lawler. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.